The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is not only the foundation of everything we believe, it's also our hope for a new, changed life in Jesus Christ. And that's what our study in 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us of today on Through the Bible. You know, it's absolutely the most important event in all of history. Three days after Jesus Christ suffered and died for the sins of the world, he rose again. That single event signified that Jesus' sacrificial death on our behalf was acceptable to God, and today we'll discover how the resurrection impacts us personally. Our teacher is Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I invite you to hop aboard the Bible bus as you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And by the way, some say it's one of the most important passages in the Bible. Now, here are a couple of great letters that I know you're going to enjoy. The first is from Michael in Vancouver, Washington. I started listening to Through the Bible sometime back in the 1970s when I was a college student. Dr. McGee's teaching strengthened my faith each time I listened. Over the years, I drifted away from a close relationship with Jesus a couple times, but both times, your program woke me up and set me back on the path. I still have all the notes and outlines I received back then. I have now been retired for one year and three days. I'm on the Bible bus every weekday morning with my Bible open on the table, pen in hand, and notes ready. When I hear Dr. McGee's voice, it's like he's in my house. Next to Jesus, who do I want to see first in heaven? I can't wait to meet Dr. McGee, and I'm sure there will be a long line. Bless you all for your continued hard work, and thanks to faithful supporters who keep the Bible bus on the road. I will continue to share breakfast, prayers, and God's word with you every morning until God calls me home. And then next we got a message from Cambodia, and this person told our field associates on the ground that this message uh, from Fee. I was born a Buddhist like almost everyone I know. As a grown man, I felt frightened to ask anyone the questions I had about the afterlife. We believe in samsara, the process of attaining life after death until we reach nirvana. My questions went unanswered and my soul suffered anguish. Something in my spirit said what we believed was not true. This anguish was addressed when I met a man who told me about Jesus Christ, that he had died as punishment for my sin, and he told me about the Bible, the holy book from the one God who was able to satisfy my soul. I asked him where I could discover more, and he directed me to your program in my language of Khmer. I listened for many weeks and have now given my faith to Jesus Christ, the only one to provide new life only attainable in his name and through his sacrificial death. This is remarkable truth and the only message that brings peace to my soul. Jesus Christ is my Lord and the one I have been looking for my whole life. Thank you for introducing me to him. Wow. Well, praise God for this new brother in Christ. You know, if you'd like to pray with us that the gospel makes inroads to places like Cambodia, why don't you join our world prayer team? You know, every day when we get the short email, we can take a moment to pray for people in our country of the day. And, and we know that God delights in answering the prayers of his people, don't we? Why don't you sign up today at ttb.org forward slash pray. Now let's do that as we begin our great study about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this amazing act of mercy and grace that we celebrate today. Thank you for saving us, broken and sinful people all over the world through the work of your precious son. We come to you in his name now. Amen. Here's Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee for our study today in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, we've come to a chapter that can be classified as one of the most important and crucial chapters of the Bible. If you would pick out 
ten of the greatest chapters of the Bible, which men have done constantly from the beginning of the Christian era, you'll find that 1 Corinthians 15 occurs in practically all of those lists. It's that important. It's so important that actually it answers really the very first heresy of the church, which was a denial of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is coming in this chapter to the third great spirituality. Now, you will recall in the first part, he dealt with carnalities. He dealt with these things that so important to us today. My, we just feel like you've got to have a series of lectures on sex today. And certainly divisions mark the church today, the little sects, the little cliques, the little groups that are in churches today. And I have a letter from a dear lady that rebukes me for making a statement some time ago that the meanest people I've ever met were in the church, not out of the church. Now, may I say, I hold to that statement, but I probably should have added another statement and said the sweetest, the most wonderful people I've ever met are in the church also. But the reason I mention that is because the meanest people ought not to be there by any means at all. But Paul's writing, dealing with those things, they will go into law one with another, going into court, airing the skeletons in the closet, and they shouldn't have done that. And then we have them engrossed in problems that concern divorce and all of these little things today, the eating of meat and whether you get a haircut or not and whether a woman should wear a hat to church or not. Those are things that seem very trivial, and yet they seem so important to us today, and they are the things we discuss today. But how about the gifts of the Spirit? That was the spirituality, and Paul talked about that, and how wonderful it was to know, friends, that every believer today has a gift. I can't think of anything more thrilling than that. Now, can you think of anything more wonderful today than to know that God's given you a gift if you're a Christian and that you are to function in this world and not only function in this world, my friend, you are to be a partner with Jesus Christ and the tremendous enterprise of making him known. And what a challenge it is to young people today to find out what their gift is and exercises. That gives purpose to life. And that's been left out today, unfortunately, by the church and by the home. And as a result, the young people go off in this direction. And candidly, I don't blame them. I'm not blaming that young fellow at all, which I didn't. I have great sympathy for him. And then may I say that there was that great love chapter, that things are to be exercised in love, and love is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't work up love down here. It's only the fruit of the Holy Spirit, I should say, not a gift. The gift is one thing, fruit is another. And we need the fruit today, I think, above everything else in the Christian life. Now we come to the third great spirituality, and that's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and our resurrection. The glory of the Christian faith is that it never views life as ending with death, or that this life is all. It always looks to the sunrise. 
It never looks at the sunset. It looks out yonder into eternity. And what a hope it offers. And may I say that's something else that gives purpose to life. I expect to live in eternity. And I'm not in a hurry to get there. I can assure you that. I want to stay in this life as long as I can. Because I think down here is where you do your service. And I think this is preparation. And I think that what you do here will have to do with your reward. So I want to get a few things on my side of the ledger. Don't think I've got much, but I would like to get a few things there. That song, Will There Be Any Stars in My Crown, they don't sing that anymore. Have you noticed that? Why? Because they're not looking at stars in their crown. They're trying to be a star down here. <laughs> my friend, oh, that we might get this tremendous view that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus should give to the believer today. And that is something that gives purpose to life. You see, we've lost sight of the essentials, and we've got our mind on incidentals today. And that, of course, just adds up to one tragedy after another, even among professing Christians today. Now, as we come to this chapter here, as we've said, this chapter actually deals with the gospel. And it shows that the most important part of the gospel is the resurrection of Christ. Without it, everything else, frankly, is meaningless, even the death of Christ. It's the resurrection. He was delivered for our offenses. He was raised for our justification. In his death, he subtracted my sin. But in his resurrection, he gave me, may I say to you, he gave me a sure, abundant, entrance into heaven, and I stand in his righteousness. He's delivered for our offenses, raised for our justification, or for our righteousness. Now, I think that probably as we get into this chapter, might be well for us to define and delineate very sharply the meaning of the resurrection. The resurrection is not spiritual. It's physical. The word is anastasis necron. That means the standing up of a corpse. That's the language that you. That means these bodies of ours are to be raised. And we're going to see, Paul will define what he means by the resurrection. Now, resurrection in Scripture always refers to the body. Anastasis means the standing up. Histomy to stand, ana, up. The standing up of the body. It can't be spiritual. C.S. Lewis, that brilliant Oxford Don, ridiculed the liberals in England in his day. He asked the question when they talked about the resurrection being spiritual. He says, what position does a spirit get in when it stands up? And that, my friend, is something for the liberal to kick around for a little while and see if he can come up with an answer to that one. Now, may I say that we want to get into this and we want to note that in Corinth of that day and in the Roman world of that day, there were actually three philosophies concerning death and life after death. There was Stoicism, and Stoicism taught that the soul merged into deity at death, and there was therefore the destruction of the personality. That actually makes a resurrection a non-entity. And then there was the Epicurean philosophy. It was materialistic. There was no existence beyond death in their teaching. And then there was Platonism. Platonism taught the immortality of the soul. 
more or less like transmigration. You find that teaching in India, you find it today in Platonism, and you find it in some of the cults today. It denied the bodily resurrection. That's the reason when Paul mentioned in Athens the resurrection, they thought that he was talking about a new God. And today, we need to understand very clearly that Paul's not talking about spiritual resurrection. The soul does not die. The minute that a body dies, the person goes somewhere. If he's a child of God, it's absent from the body, present with the Lord. If he's not, then he goes to the place of torment. Our Lord labeled it that. I didn't. Now, will you notice, and I have a division. I don't exactly follow it, by the way, at this point. We have here in chapter 15 concerning the gospel. We have, first of all, the prominence of the resurrection in the gospel, and then proofs of the resurrection. And actually, what we have here is four proofs, really, of the resurrection in the prominence of the gospel. First of all, Paul says here that it's part of the gospel, and there's no gospel without the resurrection. As Dr. Machen put it, Christianity does not rest on a set of ideas or a creed, but upon facts. The gospel is not the Sermon on the Mount. It's not the Ten Commandments. The gospel is a series of facts concerning a person. That person is Christ. Listen to Paul. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. That answers the question of whether Paul is the one who originated the gospel. He did not. He said, I received this. Where did he receive it? He received it out yonder in that Arabian desert, because that's where the Lord took him and taught him. And he did not know the Lord Jesus is back from the dead. In fact, he didn't believe it on the Damascus road, and he asked the question, Who art thou, Lord? He didn't dream it was Jesus at all. Now he says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Now, Paul says he'd preach the gospel to them. Now, what is that gospel that he preached to them? Because he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. What is it? Well, he says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Now, there's something here that's very important. First of all, the great proof is that it's part of the gospel. There's no gospel without the resurrection, and it concerns the death of the Lord Jesus. He died for our sin. He was buried. He rose again the third day. Those are the facts. And my friend, there's no gospel apart from those facts. That's what the gospel is. It's what Jesus did for you and for me. Now, this is gospel. It's good news. Now, if you suppose you'd come to me today and you'd say, Preacher, I've been thinking it over and I'm interested in you, and I'd like to see you become a millionaire. And I'd say, well, that would be nice. And you'd say, now, I have a plan here. If you'll get a job, and you'll be able to work, and you'll be able to make so much, and in about a thousand years, you'd be worth a million dollars. Now, I want to say to you, friends, as much as I could use, actually, a million dollars. Now, I think I could use it in the Lord's work. 
and I'd use it on radio. I think that's the greatest avenue today for getting out the Word. And I could use it, and I'd thank you for it. And I'd say, that's great, but I don't get the point that's good news. If you think that by me working, I can make a million dollars, you're wrong. That's not good news. In fact, it's bad news. Now, suppose, though, you come to me and you tell me, you know, there was a friend of yours, and he loved you, and he made a million dollars, and he died, and he's left you the million dollars. You think that would be good news? My friend, that would be good news, you see. Now, the gospel is what Jesus Christ has done for me, done for you. He died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried, he rose again the third day. Now, he died. That's a historical fact. Very few would deny that. He was buried. I like that put in there. Somebody says, why is that so important? That means, friends, that he didn't disappear. That doesn't mean he ran off somewhere. That means that they had his body. And this man, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, and the others that saw him crucified, they knew who it was. It was Jesus. They buried him. May I say to you that that is important. He died. That confirms his death. Now, it says he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. And he rose again. That's part of it. <laughs> that tomb was empty. And that's important to see. That means that the gospel is that Jesus died, buried, rose again. That's the first proof. The second is the experience of the Corinthians. Let me read this again. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye believed in vain. That is, unless it was empty faith. And there's that kind of faith, of course. But he says, by which ye are saved. The church is the proof of it. Why, do you know those men were scattered? And there happened to be 11 men in Jerusalem or in its environs that if Jesus was dead, they didn't want the body out of the grave. They wanted to stay there. They were in enough trouble. And these men were scattered, discouraged, ready to go back to fishing. And what happened? Word came that he was back from the dead. <laughs> May I say that revolutionized them. That brought into existence the church. And for 1,900 years, there have been millions of people that say he's back from the dead. You can't explain the church apart from the resurrection. I'm saved by the death, resurrection of Jesus. May I say to you, without his resurrection, I'd have no gospel. I'd have no living Christ today. I'd have no Savior. May I say that's the second great proof. And the third is, I didn't emphasize this a moment ago, but did you notice it says, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how the Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he also buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures? Old Testament, by the way. I'd love to have been with Paul the Apostle when he arrived over in Europe went to Philippi, Thessalonica, then down to Athens, then on over to Corinth. I think he had with him a parchment. 
and it was the Old Testament. And I think that when he went into the synagogue and he mentioned the death of the Lord Jesus, they said, well, this is not in our scriptures at all. I think he turned back to the book of Genesis and he said, I'd like to tell you about the offering of Isaac and how Abraham received him from the dead. He was ready to kill a boy. And that God spared not his own son, but delivered him up freely for us all. But he did spare Abraham's son. And he says that's in the 22nd chapter of Genesis. Then I think he turned over to all five of those offerings in Leviticus. Then I think he turned to the 22nd Psalm and showed them the crucifixion of Christ. Then he turned to the 53rd of Isaiah and in many other passages. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. This was the fulfillment of scriptures. My friend, it's very hard to gainsay that argument, may I say to you. The expectation of the Old Testament. This life is not all. Those that say today, I do not believe in a here after religion, but a here and now. I like them both. I have a here and now religion. I also have a hereafter religion. Now, the fourth proof that we have here are the witnesses. And you can't get around witnesses. Any lawyer that went to court today would love to have this many witnesses. If he did, he'd win his case. Now, I don't care what it was. Verse 5. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. Mention Cephas first. He appeared to Cephas privately. You say, what took place? None of my business, and I guess it's none of yours either. He appeared to Cephas. After all, he denied him. He had to get things straightened out. You see, our Lord was in the foot-washing business. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And somebody says, then of the twelve... Who are we talking about? We're talking about ten men. He's appeared to Cephas privately, and then he appeared to the ten. But they've been called the twelve, because when they all put together, and Paul joins them, you have the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto the present, but some have fallen asleep. Five hundred saw him at one time. I think it is up yonder in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee somewhere. You remember he said to them, I will meet you in Galilee. And I think as these men moved up through the country, they said, where are you going? Jesus died. Are you going back to fishing? No, we're going up there to meet him. He's back from the dead. And I think there were 500 followers of him that were up there to see him at one time. Now, will you notice, after that, he was seen of James, probably a private interview, and then of all the apostles. But last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. Paul says, I saw him. My friend, it's very difficult to answer a man who saw it, especially if you didn't see. Very difficult. These are the witnesses. Here are the four proofs that Paul gives us right here at the beginning of the resurrection. Now we're going to follow through on this next time. So until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved.
Next time, we'll explore more of the four proofs of Jesus' resurrection. To read more on this topic, just go to ttb.org forward slash booklets. Look for these titles, What is Christmas Without the Resurrection? and Witnesses After He Died, They Saw Him Alive. This content was drawn from great sermons from Dr. McGee and will help you go even deeper in your understanding of this gift given to us. And while you're online at ttb.org, why don't you sign up to receive our monthly ministry newsletter? It's packed with ways that you can learn from Dr. McGee and then join with us in taking the whole word to the whole world. You can get it in your mailbox or by email. Again, that's ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. And when you're in touch with us, be sure to tell us how you hop aboard the Bible bus. Do you listen by app or podcast in your car with the Bible Companion open on your laptop or at home on Alexa while you're cooking dinner? Or maybe you tune into your favorite radio station and have breakfast like Michael mentioned earlier. Well, your choices really do matter to us and we want to continue making them available. So be sure to let us know. Well, it's been a great day to study God's Word, hasn't it? Next time, we continue with one of the greatest chapters in the Word of God as our journey through the Bible moves forward. I'm Steve Schwetz, grateful for your company on the Bible bus and your partnership in taking God's whole Word to His whole world. Through the Bible exists to take God's whole word to the whole world, and we invite you to stand with us with your faithful prayer and financial support. Where will God's word go today?